Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, a Teen Mom Deep Dive podcast. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hi, everyone. How are you? You know, I hope everybody's doing good. It is, isn't it crazy when people like have an exact countdown of how many days you've been in quarantine? If you're one of those people, I apologize. I just personally can't imagine that. (laughs) For me, I can't imagine keeping track. I don't know. We've been in quarantine a long time. We're going to be in quarantine for a while longer. Um, Yeah, I don't expect to be out of this for like a long time. Like, I kind of am assuming we're going to be in quarantine for the rest of the year. (laughs) I think that people need to start mentally preparing themselves to not be living a normal life for a while. Um, If that's too much for you, I understand. But I'm seeing a lot of people on my Facebook, like, things are going to open up again soon. And I think things will open up again soon because we have a really bad president. And then... Um, once they do open up, there's going to be a huge spike and everything's going to have to close down again. I think that people need to start mentally preparing. (laughs) I don't mean to laugh, but it's the truth. Um, yeah, so that's sad. Let's not dwell on that. But anyway, I hope everybody's doing good. I had a pretty good week. I walked a lot this week. Um, if you are not a patron over on my Patreon, under Liz Bentley, patreon.com slash Liz Bentley. I suggest you check it out. I released an episode this week on Mob Wives, True Life, I'm a Compulsive Shopper, Flipping Out, Princess was on that episode with me, and a new Sister Wives episode. So I definitely suggest you go and check those out. Uh, this week I have, what do I have upcoming this week? An episode on My Three Wives, which is a Netflix show about polygamy, I'm going to do a Caroline Calloway episode. I'm kind of holding off on that because I'm waiting for her to release a little bit more stuff. I'm doing another True Life episode, a Vlog Squad episode, an episode on uh, Unorthodox, an Intervention episode, a Trisha Paytas episode. I actually have a lot of recording to do this week. So, well, we'll see exactly when I do all of those. But that's kind of the stuff that's upcoming. I also have episodes... On Real Housewives of New York, Gypsy Sisters, which, once again, like, are we supposed to call it that? Jesus Camp, Colin Sav, uh, My Big Fat Gypsy Wedding, once again, are we supposed to call it that? And Mama June from Hot Tonight. Those are things that are coming up. I put out a lot of podcasts. (laughs) Like I said, I did four this week. So if you're bored and you have some extra cash and you want to be a patron... Just go over to patreon.com slash Liz Bentley or find the link in my Instagram bio. Okay, that's enough plugging for that. Um, I also released an AMA this week on the main feed. Well, first I uploaded it for the Solid Listen Network Patreon, and then a couple days later it was posted on the main feed. I say, just you go listen to that. Um, I did announce, if you didn't listen to it, that I did get into grad school for my MSW starting this fall, and I'm 99% sure I'm going, so I need, I don't know, like, what the future is going to hold with feathers in my hair, um, just to give everyone a fair warning on that. We'll see, you know, if it gets to be too much, like, school and work will have to come first. I don't even know if, like, they'll have a semester, you know, like, will there be a semester? I'm not sure. But yeah, so that's cool. I got into grad school. That's cool. Gonna be a social worker. That's cool. Um, 
Yeah, but I would say listen to that AMA. I talked about a lot of stuff. Okay, let's talk about Teen Mom. Oh, first, just because this is something that's going around. Um, so somebody managed to find Brandon of Brandon and Teresa's sister's Facebook profile. Apparently, she had one picture set to public, which everything else was set to private. And that picture was like a family photo that included Carly. Um, it's a recent picture of her. She looks, in my opinion, just like Tyler with like Kate's forehead. I was sent the picture, but I am not going to be posting pictures of Carly on my Instagram page. I think that Brandon and Teresa have been very clear that they do not want Carly posted publicly. And I know we can't really discuss the ethics of Teen Mom, as I've talked about, and ethically, we probably shouldn't be talking about any of these kids or posting any of these kids. But I find it a pretty easy line to draw that if this kid is not on the show and the parents are actively against the child being on the show, then I'm not going to post their picture. I would say this also applies to Christina's older daughter, who I believe is also named Carly, but with a K, (laughs) who was actually featured on being Amber, but since then has not been on the show and her father has gone as far to like get a restraining order against MTV so they couldn't film when Carly was there because I guess for a while they were filming when Carly was there and just kind of shooting around her, blocking her face out. And he went as far as to make it so MTV like can't be on the premises when she is there. So I wouldn't actively share one of her pictures. Now there's just not that much interest in her. So I don't see pictures of her floating around. But Christina doesn't share her at all on her public Instagram Her dad has made it very clear he doesn't want her in the public eye, so I wouldn't share her. And I feel the same about Carly. Brandon and Teresa, while, you know, they may have let her be on very early seasons of Teen Mom, and they did that Adoption Magazine photo spread, they have since decided that they don't want her publicly shared, and they have not publicly shared her. I think that, I think that Brandon and Teresa probably have a realistic understanding that in the year 2020, it is extremely hard to impossible to keep your kids off of the internet to keep images of your kid off the internet and so I would imagine they probably share pictures of her on private accounts that aunt that posted her probably has other pictures of her that are private and she just accidentally left her settings on public and I'm not going to share that unless Brandon and Teresa themselves post a public picture of Carly like I'm just not going to share it I think that they have been really clear that they don't want her posted. I think they have done a really, really, really good job considering the internet age that we live in, keeping her offline and keeping her private. And so, yeah, like I, you know, I got sent the picture. Cool. It was cool to look at. It was cool to see her, but I'm not going to publicly share that on my platform. And like I said, unless Brandon and Teresa like come out and say, like come out and have a magazine spread or they post the picture of her. Like I'll share a picture if they post it and it's obviously on purpose in public. But I think I think that what we can do is respect their par- her parents' wishes to not have her be associated with this. I've long said that I think Brandon and Teresa have done a good job with protecting her and I think that they have kind of made the best out of a crazy situation. And when they adopted Carly, they could have no idea what they were getting themselves into. You know, like, they agreed to be on one special. And then, like, okay, on one or two episodes of an early show. And they did, like, an adoption magazine because it was for a cause they believed in. 
But I don't think they ever assumed that 10 years later, <laughs> the show would still be going on and their daughter would still be a topic of conversation. And I think they've done a really nice job protecting her privacy. And I think Carly is very lucky for that, that she doesn't have to be associated with Teen Mom. I think that she is very lucky that she will not spend her whole life associated with Teen Mom and that she won't get recognized out in the street and that she'll be inter- able to introduce herself as Carly, whatever Brandon and Teresa's last name is, which I'm sure if I looked it up, I could probably, I'm sure their last name has been printed and stuff, but it's not Baltiera, you know, like it's not often said on the show. So you're not like, you, you're not automatically like, oh, that's Carly from Teen Mom. I think that she's lucky that she is able to grow up normal and not be associated with this show. I think all the kids that are associated with this show and really any kid that's raised on reality TV is going to have major issues for a long time. <laughs> I mean, I think that's just the facts and I think I've spoken about that. I mean, look at, all you have to do is look at child stars to know this. And I think that Carly is very fortunate that she's not going to have to deal with that. So I am choosing not to actively post about her. Like I said, unless Brandon and Teresa change their minds or Carly's old enough to make her own account that's public, then I'll post about her because I'm sure we'll still be talking about this fucking show when that happens. <laughs> anyway, that leads us to the other big news, which it came out this week that Caitlin and Tyler are $800,000 in debt to the IRS. Let's repeat that. They have a tax lien for 800 thousand dollars i guess it's two separate tax liens let me look up the exact details again okay so for the years 2016 2017 there was a lien placed for five hundred and thirty-five thousand. i'm guessing they got audited because all of a sudden they have these liens for multiple years and all at once i guess um, then for also for 2018, there's a $321,000 lien. So they total in total, they owe $856,799. That's a lot of money. Guys, what the fuck did they spend this money on? This is what I don't understand because Kate and Tyler don't exactly live lavishly, in my opinion, especially compared. Okay. They don't. They have, like, decent things, but I would say there's nothing flashy particularly about Kate and Tyler. Like, they own, I I don't know, like, I guess they own those three properties, and two of the houses do have property liens on them, but their main house doesn't. So maybe they just couldn't sell the two old houses? I personally just really cannot figure out what they could possibly have spent all this money on, or if they have that money just sitting in an account and they just didn't pay taxes right. Somebody did point out that 2016, I guess, is the year that they started um, Tierra Rain and was wondering if maybe they just like sunk all of their money into Tierra Rain, which <laughs> I guess is possible. And it like got them into some type of hole and then they bought the house and then between Tierra Rain, which Remember, it was all, like, handcrafted, made in America, so I would imagine, like, quite a lot of startup costs as opposed to just getting shit from China on AliExpress and throwing that up on a site. I would imagine there was a heavy, like, overhead and startup costs for Tierra Rain, 
And then it just, like, kind of fizzled out. And then around the same time, they bought the Octagon House and dumped how much, God only knows how much money into restoring that. So I wonder if what they did was they just, like, whoopsie, got really far in debt with between these two major projects. But, like, how much can you really... I don't, guys, I just don't understand where that money could possibly be going. I know they take care of their families, but like, how much do they really take care of them? Why are they so broke? What is going on? They, of course, haven't made a statement on this. I am really curious. I really wonder, like, what exactly they spent all this money on, what they could have possibly spent all this money on, and... If they're going to be able to pay it back, this is a lot of fucking money. I would imagine they're going to get a lawyer where they have a lawyer and they are going to come up with a either like lump sum settlement amount that's significantly lower or they will come up with a payment plan. However, the IRS definitely fucks you on the interest. As far as I know, they have, they're not saying they committed tax fraud. I don't really understand. I'll be honest. Like, I don't really understand taxes. (laughs) I'm such a fucking idiot. I don't really understand stuff like this. So I don't really get what the difference between like Mike, the situation who had over a million dollars in like owed taxes, why that was tax fraud that resulted in arrest and what the difference between tax fraud that results in an arrest and tax liens are. Is it that you get the lien and then you just don't pay the lien and then you're arrested for tax fraud? I genuinely do not know. Um, I wonder if there has to be like a malicious intent. I would guess not. I would guess this is a what one would call a strict liability crime. <laughs> you like that criminal justice degree? A strict liability crime. Let me just double check I'm using that right. <laughs> yes, I was. A strict liability crime doesn't require intent where most criminal laws, most criminal How do I want to say that? I don't know. I'm so brain dead. But most, like, criminal behavior requires intent. So not only do you have to, like, do the act, you have to have the intent to break the law. Um, So, but certain things are called strict liability crimes, such as statutory rape is a strict liability crime, which is why, like, somebody can meet somebody, somebody who's, like, 25 can meet a teenager who lies and says they're 18 and they can still be prosecuted because statutory rape doesn't involve the criminal intent to commit statutory rape. You just do it and you're guilty. I would imagine similar to like if you get arrested with a certain amount of weed on it. I mean, this is dated law. I'm sure most states aren't like this anymore. But if you get arrested with a certain amount of weed, you automatically get intent to distribute even if it was just your personal stash. Anywhere, where where am I going with this? Oh, tax fraud. So yeah, I don't know like what exactly makes it so someone gets arrested and someone doesn't. I assume Kate and Ty will be given the opportunity to pay it off. However, once you don't, I do know for a fact when you don't pay it off, that's when the feds really come knocking. I believe that's why, didn't Spike Lee go to jail for that? I don't know. Basically, if you don't pay your taxes, you're going to get in trouble. And $850,000, almost a million dollars in unpaid taxes is so much. And the crazy thing is that it didn't start until 2016. However, like, they've been making money for a long time from MTV and social media and that type of income, which is all 1099, which in case you don't know, means that, like, taxes aren't taken out up front. And so you owe the government money. Um, You know, when you have a W-2 job, they, 
your work takes out the taxes and then you get your refund. If you have a 1099 job, you have to put aside money. Like for my Patreon, I'm putting aside 33%. Uh, like right off the bat, I'm just like cutting 33% off and putting it in my savings so that at the end of the year, I'll be able to pay that in taxes um, so that I don't fuck myself over. <laughs> trying to be conscious of it so I don't get into a real Kate and Ty's situation, if you know what I mean. So I don't know, like, what changed in 2016 that they suddenly weren't paying taxes, right? I wonder if, like, that they just all of a sudden were making so much more money, including sponsorships. Maybe they weren't declaring any of their sponsorships in their ads from Instagram. That could be a possibility, I guess, because pre-2016... There just wasn't as much SponCon. I mean, SponCon definitely happened, don't get me wrong. I mean, SponCon goes back really to the er very early days of YouTube. I mean, SponCon goes back forever. Celebs mentioning brands here and there. But like heavy SponCon, like we know it now, and influencers go back to like the early days of beauty gurus who would use products and be like, I love this, and just not to to close that they were getting paid for it. Um... Then it kind of made its way to Instagram. And then if you'll remember, there was a whole FTC crackdown. And that's why everybody has to put hashtag ads, hashtag spawn now because they have to legally. And so I wonder if maybe pre-2016, Kate and Tyler weren't making that much money on Instagram. And then suddenly the Instagram influencing market blew up and they just like never declared any of that and were declaring their teen moms. Uh, money, so they were able to kind of fly under the radar. Like I said, I wonder if they got audited. I wonder if they got audited, if now the IRS is going to turn around and look at the rest of the cast members. Because you would imagine if you're the IRS and you discover that these cast members on a show that is a 1099 show uh, owes $800,000 in taxes and you realize all of their cast members have similar salaries and similar other avenues of income, be it Instagram, influencing, speaking, whatever, you would turn around and make sure those people are also paying their taxes. I read, although I don't know this is if this is true, after Mike, the situation from Jersey Shore got in trouble that the IRS turned around and audited a lot of the cast members of the Jersey Shore looking to see if they were doing the same thing. To me, that makes sense. Um, So yeah, I'm definitely curious, or maybe the audit only went back five years, and that's why, you know, they didn't get in trouble for earlier years. I'm very interested to see how this will play out. A lot of the team moms have had tax issues in the past. If you guys will remember, Macy was, like, always getting in trouble for not paying taxes. I think Ryan recently had a big tax lien. But usually it's, like, 50000 80000 100000 max, almost a million dollars. That's a lot of fucking money. For their sake, I hope they're just idiots and, like, didn't know what to pay and have that money sitting in an account. (laughs) I find that unlikely. (laughs) But like I said, for their sake, I really hope that's true. I mean, the feds don't play. Kate and Ty better pay back that money if they don't want to go to jail. What a mess. What a mess. I just opened up my notes app to write something down and I forgot that I was doing my shout outs for essential workers and I had a little list and I definitely want to just shout those out real quick before we get into the meat of the episode. So somebody messaged me and said she's an obituary writer, which I would have never even fucking thought about this. Guys, I love the messages I'm getting for the shout out requests. Like I said, I'm writing them all down in my notes app and I want to keep mentioning these 
for the rest of the time that we're in quarantine, which, as I said, is probably going to be forever. So, yeah, shout out to the obituary writers and anybody working in funeral services, you are doing an essential job. And I also just want to touch on, um, obviously, people who have lost loved ones, like, that's so standard, right? Like, obviously, we're thinking about anybody that has had a family member pass away due to the loss of COVID. But what I really want to touch on is just, I want to say that I see and recognize the inability to properly grieve the people that have lost during this time. Like funerals are so important to our society. If you're Jewish, sitting Shiva is so important and we're not able to have our traditional grieving ceremonies and that is really tough and sad. My friend's uncle passed away and they had to do a a funeral on Instagram live, which is just like so fucking sad. So if anybody's listening has lost somebody due to COVID and they weren't able to have like a funeral for them, I feel awful. I'm like, I'm really thinking of you. And I don't know if we're talking about this enough as a society. The fact that people are not only losing people during this is that we're not able to properly grieve for them. Um, also shout out to therapists who are, have moved to telehealth, which is really hard and you're really doing that damn job, and I appreciate that. And also bankers, who anybody working at a financial institute that is, especially like tellers that are still still dealing with the public, I salute you. Evan, who listens to this podcast still, I believe, um, she is a banker, and she like she's a teller, and she has to go to work every day and really be close to people, and I would imagine that's quite stressful. Okay. Those are my shout outs. If you want me to shout out a specific, specific profession, please let me know. Send me a DM at feathers underscore pod and I will. Okay, let's get on to the show right after a quick break. So, Team Mom sucks now, right? <laughs> we all, we all agree with this. <laughs> Team Mom OG is really 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 gotten bad it's kind of stunning in a way I mean like it shouldn't be stunning to me and yet and yet nothing is happening like I I know I always say this but like what do I do about this podcast guys like I hate team Amoji, the current <laughs> I don't know man this is not it's not a good show it's not and it's not even interesting talk about and I feel like a lot of the online drama has died down I don't know I understand that I have this dilemma like every fourth episode of this podcast I get that and I sit here and I say like I don't know how I keep doing this podcast and nevertheless she persisted but (laughs) I watched this I was gonna record this on Friday night but you know I didn't things got away from me But in anticipation, I watched this episode on Thursday, and it's Saturday now. And I'm like, what? Did I watch an episode of Team Mom? Like, it has left my brain so quickly. Almost nothing interesting happened in it. Thank God I take pretty detailed notes, or else I would have nothing to talk about. Like, it just sucks. I miss this being my favorite show. (laughs) I miss Team Mom being good. I miss Team Mom Young and Pregnant, although I do remember that when I 
Team Mommy Learn Pregnant was on, I said that it's not good for recapping, and I still feel that way, but I miss watching it. Team Mom OG is such a slag. I think Team Mom 2 is the same. I would really like to see them cancel this show. I really just, I'm hoping maybe the quarantine will end up in the result of Team Mom being canceled. I saw that their ratings are way down for OG, but I kind of feel like they'll be able to have like ratings of four people watching which is me and then three other people that listen to this podcast and then we won't have to have team mom OG anymore but I feel like they could have four people watching they would still run this fucking show because what else does MTV have to air the challenge I think MTV only airs teen mom the challenge are you the one siesta key and jersey shore Right? Do they still have Floribama Shore? So maybe that one too. They don't have anything else. (laughs) So they gotta keep pumping out Teen Mom. And we have to suffer through it. Okay, where should we start? Let's start with Cheyenne. Okay, so I realized that we did not yet know that Taylor was pregnant. Because they showed a preview for next week in which she announces Taylor is pregnant. But I could have sworn in real time we knew that she was pregnant like a significant amount of time before he left for the challenge. I think we found out Taylor was pregnant very early, like pre-12 weeks, because I think it was leaked. I remember someone saw, you know, when we found out, remember somebody saw them at a pumpkin patch and she looked like visibly pregnant and she was like, it was like, I saw Taylor at a pumpkin patch and she's pregnant and people were like, I don't know, I don't know. And then a couple days later, they announced that she was pregnant. So it was sometime in October. Remember doing things like going to pumpkin patches? <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> Remember fun? <laughs> so Corey is spending a lot of extra time with Ryder before the challenge. And Cheyenne is saying it's a huge opportunity for him. I guess he has a chance to win a million dollars. As I've told you guys, I don't watch the challenge. What I am watching now is Survivor. In case anybody's wondering. So I watched Survivor like when it was on air. I mean, it's still on air. But I watched the first probably eight seasons of Survivor. Like I was really into Survivor for a while. I also watched The Amazing Race. Then I just fell off reality competition shows in general. So I haven't watched Survivor in a long time. But I feel like everybody's like obsessed with Survivor again. And I was like, should I get back into Survivor? So I asked around on Twitter and I got some suggestions on what seasons to watch. Although this is hard for me because I do in my heart believe that you always need to start at season number one and then go from there. But there's 40 seasons of Survivor and I've already seen the first eight seasons. So I was told that there's a big lag and then I skipped to season 16, which is Survivor Micronesia. Is that what it's called? It's okay. I mean, it's fine. I'm not negative about it, but I'm not loving it. Um, I'm not sure if reality competition TV is for me personally. Also, it's wild how different it is from 2007 to now. Because in this episode, in the first episode, one of the ladies like, I've never met a gay person before. And then I looked up what I was like, what fucking year was this? And I realized it was 2007 because I guess they were pumping out like, two to three seasons a year. I guess they still do that because they're on season 40 and I was like 11 or 12 when this show first came on and I'm not in my 50s now. <laughs> Remember what a, what a moment Survivor season one was with Richard Hatch walking naked and then like Sue saying she wouldn't piss on somebody if they were on fire. I think that's what happened. But 
just like what a big deal Survivor used to be. I feel like I'm feeling rumblings of that happening again and I don't want to miss out. But yeah, apparently like in 2007 we were still openly talking about never meeting a gay person. I feel like I wasn't, but apparently a lot of people were because nobody else seemed shocked by the way that she said that. I was shocked. Anyway, I don't watch the challenge, I think is what I was getting at. I do want to watch that all, um, like, by season of Are You the One or all queer season of Are You the One. That seems interesting to me. I did watch the first season of Are You the One, but I, I found it a little much, so I stopped watching it. Okay, where was I? So Matt and Cheyenne, oh, so we find out that Matt and Cheyenne had a huge fight, and the big issue is that she's supposed to be leaving with Matt to go to Thailand for her sister's birthday in a couple days. Basically, Cheyenne explains that they were at her parents' house for a party, and a bunch of people were there, and Cheyenne was, like, in the kitchen cooking and doing whatever, and then she had to step away for something, and so she asked Matt to make her a plate of food. And when she came back in, this was a little hard for me to follow. And I also don't believe Cheyenne is the most reliable narrator, to be honest. I feel like Shy is always like, well, you know, like this happened and this happened. And because she's really mellow, you like believe what she's saying. But also it doesn't seem that realistic. But basically Cheyenne says that she had, he made her a plate and it had asparagus on it. And she doesn't like asparagus. So she's like, she just picked up the asparagus and put it back. And Matt flipped out and was like, you couldn't say thank you. Actually, she said, why didn't you say you're welcome? (laughs) But what she meant was Matt screamed at her like, why didn't you say thank you? You're so ungrateful. And Cheyenne's main point, which I definitely agree with, was that it was really embarrassing because she was like in front of her family and friends and Matt just like went off and she was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you need to leave. And he was like, well, should I come get my stuff from your house? And she was like, okay. And so he moved out and she hasn't talked to him since. Now, here's what I'm wondering. I, my guess would be that Cheyenne (laughs) picked up the plate and was like, ugh, why did you give me asparagus? You know, I don't like asparagus and was very rude about it. And then Matt was just like an asshole back. Um, I kind of find Cheyenne, I kind of find Cheyenne. I kind of find Cheyenne, I cannot speak. I kind of find Cheyenne to be uh, bratty in a lot of ways. Like she gives me, maybe it's just the tone of her voice because she talks in a whine. So this might be an unfair attribution that I'm giving her. But in my opinion, a lot of times she speaks like, uh, uh, okay. And like, I can see her being like, I don't even like asparagus. And Matt being like, Wow, you can't say thank you, but I totally agree with Cheyenne that, first of all, I'm like, I'm not really down with yelling in general. I'm not, I had a dad that yells, I don't respond well to yelling, I don't like yelling, I don't feel like yelling is ever needed. When somebody yells at me, I just stop. Once, I had this personal trainer, and one day, of course he was, (laughs) the personal trainer I got was like an active drug addict, because that's just my life, and one day he was like, withdrawing from drugs, and was like, really not in a good mood and he yelled at me the whole time and at the end of session I was like hey just so you know I didn't like this and if you ever do this again I'm just gonna go ask them to assign me a different trainer because I don't respond well to being yelled at like I just don't deal with yelling and I also agree with Cheyenne like it's very embarrassing the idea that he would yell at her in front of her family and like just the idea of making a scene in front of her family and their friends It says a lot. It's like, if you're willing to do this in front of everyone, what will you do behind closed doors? 
I think I've talked about this. I have, um, I have issues with people who don't understand, um, basic social norms and understand how to behave in public. It makes me very uneasy and I just don't trust it. And like, for me, if somebody is willing to be like that rude and that yelly in front of other people, it shows that they have such a level of lack of like, such a lack of respect that, like, what are they going to do when nobody's around? It's like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Does that make sense? I'm not saying that if you're nice in public, you'll always be nice in private, but I feel like if you have a basic level of understanding of how you're supposed to treat people, then that shows, and I think that if you can't understand that, like, you don't yell at your girlfriend in front of her family and friends, then, like, there's a major issue there. And I do believe that Matt has previous domestic violence arrests. So I'm just a little wary of Matt. Even though I think on camera Matt comes off pretty well, um, I just don't, I don't really think that she's, or I don't really think that he, I don't know. If you have previous domestic violence arrests and then there's a big fight in front of Cheyenne's family, I'm Team Cheyenne here is basically what I'm saying. We get a little scene of Cheyenne and her business partner. <laughs> I don't know. It's just silly. Cheyenne's an event planner now. Like, okay. Planning, talking about planning. And she's like, well, we have my nephew's first birthday party. And I'm like, does that count as event planning? <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, what? <laughs> what do you use event planners for? I thought event planners were only for, like, weddings in corporate events, or if, like, you were throwing a large party at a venue and the venue would have, like, an event planner working with them. You know, like, I I don't really understand what event planning is when it comes to things like children's birthday parties. <laughs> what needs to be planned? Like, beyond what the parents do. Like, why would you need to outsource that is what I'm asking. Even if you have, like, a huge, fabulous birthday party, which, like, you do you, like, a Real Housewives-style birthday party, like, what would need to be planned about that? Like, you just order the stuff, and then you set it up at the venue. It's not like, you know, it's not like a wedding where you need to order, like, a hundred different things, and you have all of these vendors, and you have to do table arrangements, and I don't know, I don't, I just, I don't really get it, is what I'm saying. Maybe I'm just not, me personally, I'm not in the right tax bracket to understand outsourcing event planning for everyday events. That could be it. That could be it. I guess I can understand how Taylor from Real Housewives of Beverly Hills could have used an event planner to do that birthday party she threw for her Kennedy, her four-year-old daughter's birthday that cost like $50,000 or whatever. I guess I could understand how you'd use an event planner for that. But from, like, the parties we've seen at Cheyenne's, like, they're cute, but you just, like, buy cupcakes and decorations and they set them up at her parents' house. Not sure where event planning comes in, is what I'm saying. So we did get a scene of Matt with his friends, which I was kind of surprised about. I didn't really realize that we were at the level with Matt that we were going to be following him by himself. I'm not sure that I needed this scene. I will say I really want to go out for Mexican food. <laughs> And not eat it at my house. I want to go out and I want to eat chips and salsa and then have my meal. And that doesn't translate well to getting at home. It just doesn't. It's sad, but it doesn't. So Matt says that his love language wasn't being understood. And I guess 
and we got into this. He said that he wasn't being vocal about it, and he kind of exploded. He said that, though, it wasn't, like, a back and forth because it was in front of people, so it just, like, shut down, but it was still bad. I Like I said, I'm just surprised that we get a scene of Matt by himself. I didn't really, I was like, huh, who are these friends? Like, what's, I don't, I also, like, what does Matt do for a living? I'm a little confused about Matt and who Matt is as a person. I guess I don't really need to know because I'm assuming this is his last episode that we'll see him. But, you know, when they had him looking at those, like, $3,000 a month apartments, like, he just moved here from Baltimore. Like, he was probably, the apartments that they were looking at in Baltimore were probably, like, $1,200. Um, so... I can't imagine that he was paying rent like that in Baltimore. Like, what was his job in Baltimore? Does he just make music? Does he make money making music? How did he afford to move to L.A. in the first place? Where is he staying when he's not with Cheyenne? I have questions about Matt. Matt doesn't really seem to be doing anything as far as I can tell. And they haven't really given us enough of his background. I will say I find Matt very attractive. I'm very attracted to Matt. But beyond that, I'm a little confused about who he is and how he makes a living I guess he just wants to be famous, would be my main guess. So Matt and Cheyenne have a little meetup where basically they break up. And Matt starts by saying he's sorry. And he says he has a hard time with how Cheyenne shows and receives loves. Like, basically what he's saying, he said to his friends that they have different love languages. And, like, I found Cheyenne to be really unlikable here. I'll be honest. Okay. My thing is, I think it's really great and important when people, like, find out what their love languages are. But Cheyenne, Matt being like, I need you to be affectionate with me because I guess words of affirmation are his love language. And then Cheyenne just shutting that down and being like, I don't need to be affectionate to show how I care. I don't need to say these things. I don't want to text you every day and say, hey, I love you. I don't want to be cute with you. Like, she, obviously she was, like, already moved on, but... I think this is kind of how Cheyenne is because I said, I think Cheyenne is a brat. And I think that if it's not about Cheyenne and how Cheyenne wants to do it, I think that she isn't interested in doing it. And I understand that words of affirmation can be very hard for people and that can be like hard to express. But if you care about someone and that is their love language, even if it's not yours, the idea is and the point of the love language is book in theory is that you figure out what your partner's love language is and what yours is so that you can best accommodate one another and so that you can best understand what the other can give and how they can make themselves be a better partner. So if you're a person that's not very good at words of affirmation, which is fine and a very real thing for a lot of people, but your partner's love language is words of affirmation, that means that you need to put a genuine effort into giving them those words of affirmation. It doesn't mean that you need to completely overhaul your personality overnight, but if your partner does not feel loved and appreciated unless you tell them so, then, like, even if it's a little hard for you, you have to go out of your way to do that. On the other hand, like, if your if Cheyenne's love language is, like, act of services, act of service, and she doesn't really care about words of affirmation, then Matt would need to go out of his way to show active service and to like do things for her and help out and be there and like pick up the slack and wash her car and just do those types of things, even though his love language is words of affirmation. 
Cheyenne just like completely shutting him down and being like, no, I don't care about that. That's not how I show love. It's like, okay, but like nobody's really asking how you show love. He's letting you know what he needs in a partner. And instead of being like, hey, I hear that. And like, that's not easy for me, but I hear that you need that. And like, I want to work to be better at that. This is why I struggle at it. What can we do so that you feel better Cheyenne's just like, nope. And I guess it's because she's over this relationship. I think she's been over the relationship since Matt moved to L.A. I think she shouldn't have. I think Cheyenne kind of played Matt dirty. I'll be honest. I mean, it's hard to know because I feel like the majority of their relationship was off camera. And, like, we didn't really see them interacting very much on camera. It was more because they were long distance and because all of a sudden he was living in L.A. And then all of a sudden they were broken up. It was hard to track. But... It never really seemed like Cheyenne was that into Matt. I think Cheyenne is very into the idea of getting married and having a partner and having more kids and just wants a guy to fulfill that role and doesn't really care that much about who the guy is. Because if you remember last season, she was like, you need to move to L.A. so that we can get married and we can have a kid. And I think Cheyenne needs to maybe find someone that I think she's like 25 or 26, right? She should be looking for a guy in his mid 30s, I think. Because it seems like Cheyenne wants to push through to the next stage in her life. And I don't think these guys in their 20s are going to do that with her. I also just think that she is, I mean, I think that she doesn't truly know what she wants. You know, she meets this guy, he lives in Baltimore, and she's like, I want to get married, I want to be together. And then he's like, okay, well, I want to make the next step and move to L.A. And she's like, well, let's take it slow. (laughs) It's just silly. Cheyenne is very silly to me. And I also think that part of this is MTV editing because I'm assuming, I'm assuming that the main storyline that MTV wants to push is Corey and Cheyenne, right? And like Corey and Cheyenne's co-parenting relationship, which is why we're not seeing a lot of his relationship with Tyler, with Taylor, and why we're not seeing a lot of... Cheyenne's relationship with Matt because I think we're supposed to be focusing on Corey and Cheyenne and to me I don't that doesn't really do it for me necessarily I think that it would be I think that it's important to show us Cheyenne's other relationships because Cheyenne is the star of this show and I don't I don't really understand I guess I don't really understand um being Corey the second star which is obviously what they're trying to do with him and they want to do it because Corey is a big MTV player, but I don't like it. I just don't like it. I'm sorry. Okay, let's go on to, who should we talk about next? We'll talk about Kate next, right after a quick break. Hey everyone, today's episode of Feathers in My Hair is sponsored by Best Fiends, a mobile puzzle game perfect for entertaining while staying home. Best Fiends is a game you can play right on your phone and is designed to be played by anyone. Best Fiends is great because the puzzles are challenging enough to be engaging, but you don't need to be some sort of serious gamer to play. The bright colors of the interface are totally pleasing to the eye, and I love to collect the cute game characters as I play. As I round the corner on six weeks inside my house, Best Fiends has been a true sanity saver. I've been spending hours playing, and I'm totally crushing it. I've made it to level 124. Honestly, I just can't stop playing. Best Fiends updates their games each month, so it never gets stale. You don't need internet to play, so it's perfect for those of us currently dealing with slow Wi-Fi because everybody in our house is working from home. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. 
Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. So, you know, Kate and Tyler owe almost a million dollars. <laughs> but this whole episode was about their friend Ashley and Ashley doesn't have to go to jail. That's literally it. I will say this wasn't that compelling for me because Ashley's not a character that we know, really. I mean, we've seen her. She was Tyler's best woman in their wedding. We have an idea that she's their friend, but, like, I don't feel a lot of sympathy for her. I also find her to be, how do I want to say this, non-charismatic and uncompelling and hard to root for. Does that mean there's just something about watching her that I found her, her voice, I'm having an issue with voices this week, I guess, because I thought her voice was very whiny. She sounded very whiny. Um, I think she was obviously nervous and she was like ready to cry. And she's like, I just, I'm an asset to society. I pay my taxes. I have a job. And it's like, okay. I don't know. Obviously, I, you know, if she is really sober and she is doing what she's supposed to be doing, like, hats off to her. I root for any drug addict that has managed to get sober and is keeping their shit together and becoming an asset to society. Like, that's great. But there's nothing... Watching her, I'm not like, ooh, I want to know more about her story. And if you're going to bring in new characters in season 900 of this show, like, I need to know more about your story. Like, why don't we go fly to Texas and see Amber and Butch? Like, that's what I want to say. We haven't checked in with Amber and Butch in a while. Wasn't Butch missing at one point? Like, where's Butch? I would like to check in with Amber, see what she's doing. I find Amber to be a very compelling person. As I've talked about on this show, I find Amber's recovery to be the realest uh, description, description, the realest ref- I deception. No, why, guys, I'm really cracking under all this. But I find Amber's recovery to be very real and really reflective of what a lot of people in early recovery go through, behave, act like, you know, at the reunion when she was talking about it. It, it just sounded to me like everybody that I knew in the rooms in early recovery and I knew in the halfway houses in early recovery and it was really easy for me to root for Amber. And I think she's still sober or at least trying to be sober. Last time I checked, I think she got arrested for some violence, but that doesn't mean you're not sober. Here's the thing. Plenty of sober people are fucked up. (laughs) Getting sober doesn't fix a lot of things, but I really liked Amber's story and I really liked the way that Amber talked about recovery and I just found it to be so accurate compared to what we normally see on reality TV, especially Teen Mom, where Almost nobody actually has a recovery journey that looks like mine. And I felt like Amber's recovery journey was closest to my reality. And that's why I liked watching it. And maybe Ashley has one too. But like, we don't really know anything about Ashley. So it's like, why would I care if I, that's the thing. Why would I care if Ashley went to jail in this episode? Like, why, why would I care about that? As a human that's against mass incarceration, sure, I care I like I'm glad that she didn't have to go to jail, but as far as watching reality television and watching a show about this, I'm like why would I need to really care about this? There's just nothing to me that is that compelling about a storyline about a person I don't know and don't really care about. I will say one thing I found interesting is that they don't have a spare bedroom 
for her to live in. Uh, she's sleeping on their couch, which one is very generous. I don't like the idea of anybody sleeping on my couch for a long period of time because then they're all up in my business and I need them to not be. But two, I was surprised that their house didn't have more bedrooms. But then somebody pointed out that the listing said it had four bedrooms, which I guess makes sense because old houses usually have less bedrooms, believe it or not. And four bedrooms, I guess I would imagine they have the master. I wonder if they actually got rid of one of the bedrooms to make like a master suite because I would imagine that old ass house didn't have a master suite and they probably only had one one bathroom upstairs. If that, there might have only been one bathroom in the whole house. So I wouldn't be surprised if they knocked out one of those bedrooms to make like a real master suite or if they turned one of those bedrooms into an office. Although I feel like usually if you turn something into an office, you do put like a day bed in there for guests. I'm just surprised that Caitlin and Tyler, who always have guests, like don't have a place for guests to stay. I feel like they're the type of people that always have somebody living with them. But I guess they have those two other houses they could put people up in. Why not just let Ashley stay in the old house? That was really it. There wasn't really much going on in Caitlyn and Tyler's scene. I'm going to need them to pivot away from the Ashley stuff. Because, like I said, it just, it doesn't, it's not compelling to me. And it also doesn't really seem to have anything to do with Kate and Tyler's life as we know it. Does that make sense? Because obviously all of the people on this show have lives that we don't know about. But we're not necessarily that interested in the lives that we don't know about. We're interested in the lives that we do know. And for me, it's like, get a, give us a Kim scene, call Butch, bring April over, have April come over and talk to Ashley about jail. Now that would be a little more interesting. But this whole thing with just Ashley and like Ashley avoiding jail, and we're all supposed to be on the edge of our seat waiting to find out if, if Ashley's going to jail or not. I just want to say do better. I just want to say do better and figure out a better storyline. Okay, let's talk to to Mackenzie McKee, who, you know, she, Mackenzie McKee started off strong, but I think that I'm really, this is bad. I really only care about Mackenzie McKee if Josh is cheating on her for scenes about her mom's health. I don't care about Mackenzie's day-to-day. This whole episode is about Mackenzie becoming a cheer coach, which, like, okay. (laughs) It feels a little too much like Mackenzie's Snapchat for me and I'm just not that interested in it. I mean, good for her that she's going to become a cheer coach, cheer something that she loves. She can help out with people. Apparently she's going to do fitness classes in the cheerleading gym. Here's my question. Like, don't you have to have certifications to lead live classes? Like, do you? Are there any rules revolving like fitness coaches? Because as far as I know, Mackenzie does not have any certifications and she just sells her videos and her diet plans online to people. But I don't think she even has like a personal training certificate. So what happens if she like runs this class and somebody gets hurt in it and then they sue the gym? Is that a thing? I don't know. But Mackenzie basically is like, I'm going to take a cheer job because I love cheer and I want to get back into it. And it's a great way to get back into it. I also assume like she'll be able to put Jaxie in the gym, which is great for her. So Mackenzie goes to talk to her mom about it. And Angie's like, well, when you did cheer, we had to drive you all over the country, which is definitely true because cheer is closer to a like traveling soccer team as far as like competitions go because at least all star cheer because you're not cheering 
at your school and you're not cheering like against other schools or going to games like against other schools in your general area, uh, cheer involves a lot of travel. The competitions are all over. If you follow Leah, she's like always in some random fucking town in Ohio or West Virginia, not she lives in West Virginia, or like Kentucky, like the competitions are all over the place. Or like if you watch Dance Moms on Abby Lee Dance Company, how they're in a different town every week in random ass places. Like that's what cheers like. And Angie's like, well, I thought you and Josh made the mutual decision to not travel. And I'm like, what? I thought I thought Josh made a decision not to travel because he cheated on Mackenzie when she traveled, when he traveled. Here's the thing. Mackenzie keeps saying online, because her and Josh are together, that she was unfaithful too, but she won't say what it was. So it's very hard for me to understand the way that Angie talks to her, the way that she talks about herself online without some specific details about what she did to cheat on Josh. Because unfaithful, does she mean like unfaithful in my heart as far as like I saw another guy and I thought he was hot? Or did she like fuck another guy? I need to know the level of cheating that Mackenzie is saying that she did to like really understand what's going on in their relationship. Because to me, Mackenzie traveling shouldn't be a concern as far as cheating goes, as far as we know. The reason that Mackenzie isn't going to be able to keep up a cheer competition travel schedule is because Josh is a fucking loser. And Josh isn't going to be able to watch her kids every weekend. And she's got another thing coming if she thinks that Josh is going to play Mr. Dad to all three of her kids. I guess she'll bring Jaxie along, probably. But she has another thing coming if she thinks Josh is going to play Dad to these boys every other weekend when she needs to travel. She says to her mom, like, well, it's like four to six weekends a year, which is, you know, not a lot. But then the cheer coach is like, we travel all the time. And Mackenzie's like, yeah, that's totally fine. But I don't think it is. I think that Josh is a real loser who doesn't do any of the parenting. I think Josh is very hands-off in parenting. Um, The cheer competitions are also at night, and apparently Josh has a job. And she's like, I don't know how you're going to come home and then take care of the kids at night. I don't think he's going to. I think that's why it's not going to work. Not necessarily the traveling and the faithful stuff and the cheating and all that shit. It's that Mackenzie doesn't have a reliable partner. And them pretending like that's not the issue is very confusing to me. The issue is and always will be the fact that Mackenzie has no reliable partner and she is essentially a single parent with a husband. And she needs to plan her whole life around parenting her kids with an unreliable partner. So I don't really see how she's committing to a job that takes her away from the kids at night, aka the main time you have to watch them because they're not in school, and on the weekends, aka the other main time that you have to watch them because they're not in school. Just doesn't make a ton of sense. Josh is, like, he's, I can't believe anybody is encouraging her to stay with him. I just can't understand her family. And I know I've said this before, but it really makes me question Brad and Angie's marriage. It does, guys. Because Mac McKee wants us to believe that Brad and Angie are the happiest couple that has ever existed. And Angie is sitting there telling Mackenzie to stay with her cheating husband. And I don't know. I feel like if you are in a really happy, successful marriage, like, you don't look at a really dysfunctional and toxic marriage and say, just stick it out. You say, no, go find your happiness like I have it. I just, I just have questions about that family. I also have major questions about Mackenzie's sister. 
Whitney seems to be in love with Josh in a way that makes me uncomfortable. I know Whitney wasn't even in this episode, but I'm still not over the scavenger hunt episode and like just the past the episode where she got flowers and Whitney was like, oh my God, like what's going on in Whitney's marriage that she thinks Josh is so great. I need Mackenzie and Josh to um go possibly on Esther Peril's podcast, Where Do We Begin? <laughs> where Should We Begin? If you guys don't know what that is, Esther Peril is like, a world-renowned therapist. I believe she's Israeli. I mean, I, her name is Esther Peril, so I assume she is. Um, Peril means pearl, and it's actually quite a popular first name for girls. I love the name Peril, actually. But I assume she's Israeli. She has an accent, and her name is Esther Peril. So I'm assuming she's Israeli, but she is a world-renowned like marriage and family therapist, and she does this podcast called Where Should We Begin? I'm sure I've talked about it before. And basically, she meets with a couple and they do a marriage counseling session like on the podcast and I have to be in a very particular mood to listen to it because this shit is heavy and a lot of them have to do with cheating like I would say a lot of them have to do with cheating because you know it's a very very common problem in people deciding if they want to move past cheating or not and I would really like to hear Josh and Mackenzie on Esther's Where Do We Be Where Should We Begin? Because I want them to lay out exactly all of the things that we clearly are not privy to that make Mackenzie's family like love him and all of the things that we don't know that Josh has done to Mackenzie that makes Mackenzie hate him so 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 much. I mean, I think we have a pretty good idea. I also want to know whatever happened to Josh's drug addiction. <laughs> Of which they openly talked about at the Team Mom 3 reunion. <laughs> and Mackenzie would be like, it's not that Josh didn't love me. He was just high the whole time. Like, that's some information that I need more about that I feel like, why have we just walked away from that? Like, where, where's the information about that? Why don't we know more about that? So, yeah, that's really it for Mackenzie. I guess we can move on to Macy, who it's Bentley's birthday. Um, I do want to point out, did everybody else notice that child that was at Bentley's birthday party that looked like Bentley's identical twin? <laughs> did anybody else notice that but me? There was another child there who looked exactly like Bentley, and I was like, who is that? Because there were not many kids at this birthday party. I'm assuming it must be one of Bentley's cousins. I know Macy is an older brother. And, like, that has to be him, right? Like, that has to be a cousin. That can't be one of his friends. If you didn't watch this episode, you should just watch that one scene somehow. Figure it out. Figure out exactly what scene that is. And tell me if that child is not Bentley's identical twin. It was. I was like, who the fuck is that? I was very confused. Okay. So... Macy's like, I'm not sure if Ryan and Mackenzie are coming, even though the order of protection prevents him from interacting with me. I just really can't. Um, we get a scene of Jen and Larry talking about the fight. And here's the thing. Do Jen and Larry enable Ryan? Yes, absolutely. Is Jen just, like, explaining away the fight that they had and not making Ryan take any accountability? Yes, absolutely. I guess... It's hard for me to come down very hard on Jen and Larry because I have a lot, a lot, a lot of empathy for where Jen and Larry are. I'm not sure if everybody totally understands the seriousness of Ryan's drug addiction. Did I talk about this last week? I can't remember. Um, but, like, Ryan literally any day could die 
Um, because I think we all realize that Ryan is not sober and Ryan is actively using heroin. At least it seems that way. And if that is true, which if it seems that way to us, it most likely seems that way to his family, even if they won't admit it out loud. Ryan is literally walking around with a terminal illness that could kill him any day. And that is extremely sad and extremely scary. And I think Jen and Larry at their heart are good people who are in such an overwhelming situation and are unable and unwilling to totally deal with it. Now, does that hurt Ryan in the long run? Who's to say? I'm not so sure I like totally... This is controversial. I'm not sure I totally believe in enabling drug addicts. Like, I'm not sure I totally believe in, like, the tough love idea of when it comes to enabling drug addicts and, like, cutting them off and, like, not seeing them if they don't get help and not giving them money. And I, I'm i just not sure I believe in that because I, I'll be honest, I haven't really seen that work. <laughs> um, I find very few people, like, that are cut off, it actually inspires them to get help. I kind of believe that people get, they get help when they get help, and it doesn't really matter if they're cut off or not. Um, I've seen people who were never cut off get help and get sober. I mean, I'm one of those people, and I've seen people that were cut off die, and I've seen people that were not cut off die, and I've seen people that were cut off get sober, and I just feel like it's so easy to be like, you need to do tough love. You need to not enable them. You need to do this, and you need to do that, and the reality is is that it's um, it's not that black and white, and having a child that is an active IV heroin user is terrifying, and if what you need to do to be able to live with yourself is enable him, like... I don't know. Is it great? No. But like, okay, I've told the story before, but my friend who did end up passing away, I told her mom before she passed, like years before she passed away, that she needed to stop enabling her and that, you know, Christina was only getting worse because she would like, she needed to cut her off and she needed to do this. And she said to me, no, I'm not doing that because if she dies, I will not be able to live with myself. And you know what? Like, she kept enabling her to the end, and was it the right thing to do? Like, I don't know, but honestly, I don't think she would have gotten sober either. Like, if she did cut her off, I don't think that would have helped, and, she, you know, now she is able to say, like, even through her daughter's addiction, they were able to talk almost every day, and that she didn't spend those last three years of her daughter's life not speaking to her because she was doing tough love, you know? Like, I really... It's it's just, I think it's a lot easier said than done, this idea of, like, tough love and not enabling. And while I don't think they should, um, they should enable his delusions, and I think that they should stand up for themselves, and they think, I think that they should have boundaries. You know, when Jen says, like, Jen says that Macy and Taylor and what happens is a huge trigger to Ryan. And I don't necessarily think Jen is making an excuse here. I think Jen is trying to, with the limited amount of therapy that she's had, probably just a couple sessions at Ryan's treatments, um, trying to figure out, like, how to best talk to Ryan in a way that is productive for her so that she and Ryan can have a good relationship regardless of what he's going through. And I think that a lot of people don't understand that, that when you have a loved one that is 
killing themselves via a drug addiction, that for most people, it's more important to just have a good relationship with them uh, just in case they do die because death is the reality than it is to cut them off in some grand gesture that's going to force them to get help because forcing someone to get help doesn't work either. So I think that's where I am with Jen and Larry. I wish Jen and Larry would maybe get some more therapy so that they could better be able... I think that Jen and Larry deserve more therapy so that they can better, like, stick up for themselves and not blame themselves and maybe come up with better boundaries and have a better relationship with Ryan. But at the same time, like, I don't know. I just can't bash them for what they do with Ryan because I'm pretty sure Ryan's going to die. And that's, like, a really bleak thing to say out loud. But, like, I... Not every day, but every time I, like, really think about Ryan and his drug addiction, like, my next thought is, like, we will be getting a death post from Ryan soon enough because here's the reality. If you're an IV drug user, like, you're probably going to die. If you're an IV heroin user, you are probably going to die. And that is the grim truth And anybody that has spent a lot of time around people that use IV heroin knows this to be true. And like, I know this to be true from having a lot of people that I know die and having it be something that like I had to accept. And then it like does come true is like a really sad place to be, but it's just reality. And when I think about Ryan and the, like how he looks in these scenes and he has like scabs on his face and like knowing that he is not doing good, it's like Ryan's going to die if he doesn't get help. And I don't think Jen and Larry cutting him off is going to be what gets him help. Ryan's going to get help when he's sick and tired of living the way that he does. And that's it. And I mean, it's sad. He has two young kids. I don't know what Mackenzie's doing. I have a lot of questions about Mackenzie. Like I said, I, I don't know if I care so much about like the enabling, but like there's no way that Ryan is the partner that Mackenzie deserves. And I'm not saying Mackenzie deserves some fucking, like, amazing person, but I don't believe Mackenzie is such a bad person like everybody else does at her heart. I think she isn't, like, the best person alive, but I don't think Mackenzie is some evil snake. And I think that the main reason that I, like, have questions about Mackenzie, I mean, Mackenzie... You know, Ryan's parents are his parents. Parents, I think, um, are in a different conversation than a partner, Because parents are, there's no choice there, right? Like, that's his parents. And, like, that's biology. And that's, like, nurture and nature. And you can't, that's, like, a whole different conversation. Uh, I will say it's easier for me to feel judgmental of Mackenzie, who is actively choosing to be in a relationship every day where she is, loving someone who absolutely cannot be a good partner to her that is most likely quite toxic and emotionally abusive towards her because almost all drug addicts are, um, who is probably stealing from her, who is probably an absent parent, who is probably making her life significantly worse. She is just in such a deep state of denial that she can't you know, acknowledge what's really going on. And she probably feels like she doesn't even know how to leave at this point. And that's a dark and sad place to be. And I also remind myself that Mackenzie is still only like 24 and she's bogged herself down with two kids with this asshole. And like, 
it's really, it's very, very, very sad. But like, I will say like, I definitely feel more harsh about Mackenzie, Mackenzie Edwards uh, decisions when it comes to Ryan than I do about Jen and Larry's. Um, I think Mackenzie Edwards should and could leave Ryan. I think that she is probably living in a deep, deep state of denial. Um, but I also know how hard it is to be a codependent. <laughs> and I would definitely suggest Mackenzie going to Codependence Anonymous and reading Codependent No More because I have a feeling that, you know, her loving Ryan is actually kind of killing herself. Um, she doesn't seem like a happy person, you know? There's not, like, nothing about Mackenzie Edwards seems happy or fulfilled. And, like, at most, it, the most happiness we see from her usually comes from, like, a petty or vindictive place. And that's, like, a sad way to live. And I believe if she left Ryan, she can maybe be a halfway decent person. I think that, like, all of the bitterness that she feels towards Ryan and her marriage and her life comes out, like, to us is like nastiness but I wonder if that is her true being or if that's just her reaction to her relationship okay so I will say Taylor uh says to Macy he understands if Ryan and Mackenzie aren't coming he seems to be the only person that understands this protection order (laughs) so it's the day of the party and Ryan and Mackenzie get there late of course there is a cute little scene of Jade and Maverick. I still can't believe they named that baby Maverick. (laughs) Maverick is a crazy name. Jade and Maverick, and they run up to Jen and Larry. I guess they love Jen and Larry. And both of them try and jump right into Larry's arms. It's a very, very cute scene. We don't really ever see uh, Maverick and Jade interacting with Jen and Larry anymore. So I'm curious about how much time off camera they spend together. Because they definitely seem very familiar with them. And this is what I mean. Like, I don't believe Jen and Larry are bad people. Um... It's clear that they love those kids and they want what's best for everyone. They're just in an incredibly hard situation. So I did notice that Ryan was driving a Lexus SUV. Did you notice this? Um, The other thing that I noticed is that this birthday party was like eight people. I thought that this was going to be like a huge party and Ryan could like easily stand over to the other side and away from them. But this was an extremely small party, which made it, in my opinion, even more inappropriate for Ryan to be there with a protection order. Remember, not just against Macy, but Taylor and the kids and Maverick and Jade, that he's supposed to be 100 feet away from all of those people. And it's like literally impossible. Like the room they're in isn't 100 feet. (laughs) The room that they have cake in is not 100 feet. Um, did you guys also notice that Ryan and Mackenzie got there by themselves? And I was like, oh, they didn't bring Huddles or Jagger? Like, that's weird. Why would they not bring Hudson and Jagger, Bentley's brother? But then I noticed that Hudson was there. We saw Hudson. So maybe Hudson got there with Jen and Larry. Maybe Jagger, too. And we just didn't see them. And MTV, like, didn't show them. I was very confused. I was really confused. Um, they, I mean, getting there late was, like, not a good look. But... They came. Bentley was happy, I guess. I don't know. I feel so sad for Bentley. It's really sad for Bentley. Ugh, it's really sad. Um, So after the party, Macy tells her friend Katie that this was the first time since Ryan got out of jail that she was, like, very sure that he was not sober. So, yeah, I guess I will say, like, one good thing about Macy and her perspective is that at least Macy is not, um... 
I think because Macy's removed from the situation, it's a lot easier for her to see the reality of what's going on. When you're with someone day in and day out, it can be really hard to, like, have a good grasp on what they're doing. And I know that sounds crazy. You would think the closer you are, the easier it is to figure out what they're doing. But that's actually not the case, at least in my opinion. It's kind of like when you're losing weight. And if you see a person every day, it's, like, hard to tell that they're losing weight. But if you only see them every two months or so, you're like, oh my god, every time you see them, they look so much smaller. I think it's the same way with drug addiction, at least in my experience. When you're with someone every day, it's like so easy to write off all of the things that they're doing. But when you're not with them and you see them, you're like, oh fuck, he looks bad. (laughs) Like, why does he have scabs on his face? (laughs) I really, I personally believe that to be true. That like, sometimes... Oftentimes, it's actually hardest for the people that are closest to the attic, attic, to the attic, to realize that they are using again. Um, So I will say that is a refreshing stance for Macy, I guess. Okay, let's go to Amber. So after Amber faints, I didn't realize that she fainted after anger management. I thought she fainted before anger management, but the hospital, or the ambulance comes Apparently, she hasn't eaten all day, and she's just, like, overwhelmed. Gary calls Christina to tell her. Christina's like, I don't know, guys. I have questions about Christina. I'm, like, starting to question Christina and everything that she, like, why she's being so willing to support Amber through all of this. I think that they're supporting Amber to a level, in my opinion, that's hurting Leah. And I am a little confused about, like, Christina being, like, Carrie, I'm so glad you're there for Amber. I'm so glad you're there for her. I feel like she's enabling. I know I was just talking about enabling, but I consider this different with Amber because, well, Amber is a drug addict, but like Amber is actively really harming people. And I think everybody needs to get on the same team that she needs help beyond going to anger management because I'm not really sure what anger management alone is going to do if you have a personality disorder that is being currently untreated. So, I don't know. I'm just, Christina and Gary, they keep saying, I feel like because Christina and Gary say what they're doing, what they're doing is for Leah, it's like we're not allowed to question it, but I have questions. You get what I'm saying? So, Amber finally gets back in the car, and she's like, the doctor, I'm guessing she went the EMT, told her that she should go to the hospital, but she refused, and Gary's like, you just need a Mountain Dew slushy. <laughs> She did say she liked the anger management counselor and that she has a new appointment. She's like, I mean, I love my psychiatrist for sure, but like she's, this lady's good for anger. (laughs) And she made a second appointment, which is good. So in this episode, Amber pleads guilty. She is pleading guilty to 2.5 years of probation and some other requirements, which ends up being uh, like therapy and parenting classes. So... A bunch of people go to court with her, and after court, the producer and Amber talk about what happens, and Amber's like, it's just done. I'm so glad it's done. And the producer asks Amber if she felt like this was a victory. (laughs) And she was like, no, this isn't a victory. Oh, I guess this is before court. Sorry. The day of the plea hearing, Larry, executive producer with her, is with her. They show us a shot of Amber walking, Andrew walking in, and they play some of Andrew's victim impact statement, primarily the point where he says he wants Amber to be a mother for once in her life, which I'm surprised that Gary and Christina, of all people, had an issue with this. Because they know firsthand 
How much Amber doesn't parent Leah? This is what, like, this is what I mean by I'm very confused by Gary and Christina. And I'm, like, kind of wondering what reality they live in. Because they are aware that Amber doesn't come around. Christina is the one that mothers Leah. So, like, what is Leah, what is Christina saying when she's, like, yeah, Amber's, like, totally involved. Amber's, like, she's such a good mother. Like, what are they talking about? It doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't make any sense. So apparently after court, Amber was like so overwhelmed and Gary and Christina are like, I think Andrew taking the stand and saying his statement had a big impact on her. Like, I highly doubt it. All she was thinking about was that this is going to be played in the public and more people are going to judge me. Gary thinks Andrew's just trying to rattle her up and they're mad that he said for once in your life, you should be a mother. Um, Gary said, okay, so in the plea deal, there's, they extend the no contact order and Amber is not allowed to talk about Andrew, basically. And Gary is like, Andrew should be happy with this plea deal because this is the best for him. Uh, if Amber does anything to hurt him, like she's going to prison for five years. She's guaranteed to go to prison and he gets everything he wants. He gets the house. He gets child support. He gets... Uh, he gets to have full custody. Like, first of all, if Amber goes to prison, there's no child support. She won't have any fucking money left. Second of all, the idea that Andrew is somehow, like, making out, like, a bandit here because Amber had to plead guilty for assault is just, it's just so crazy for me. It really is crazy. Uh, they talk about telling Leah, and I did understand what Gary was saying here. He said that he doesn't want to tell Leah right now that Amber just got probation because if Amber messes up, she's getting her full five years, which I believe is probably true. Usually you get, you know, a couple chances on probation, but with Amber's arrest record, uh, I'm assuming that she will not get those chances. And so Gary's like, I want to wait to make sure that she's like actually doing probation correctly because I don't want to tell Leah that everything's fine. And then like, whoops, Amber messes up and she has to go to prison. I was like, that makes sense. But I feel like Leah also probably has her own her own phone and can read articles about what Amber is doing. Um, We do find out that Amber's rental house is one of Gary's rental houses because Gary goes over to talk to Amber and she's like, I mean, come on in. It is your house. <laughs> so Amber's in a tough spot because she isn't sure what to say or what she can say about Andrew, which is definitely true. And I'm interested in that a little more. I'm interested in how they're going to play out this. Because if Amber's talking negatively about Andrew on Team Mom, then she's violating her no contact order, I believe. That's the impression that I got. So I wonder how they're going to do this. We do see Andrew next week, apparently. But I definitely am curious as to how the rest of the season will progress if Amber's not allowed to talk about Andrew at all. Very curious about that. So Gary and Amber talk about her stipulations, which is she needs to go to parenting classes, which Amber thinks is absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) Of course she does. Of course she does. She has to go see her probation officer. She has to see a therapist on Monday and a psychiatrist on Friday. And she's very hurt and stuck about not being able to speak. And she's very angry. And Gary's like, well, that's understandable. And she's like, I don't get to say my side. And then she gets like fucking mad. She's like, this is so fucking annoying right now. This is, you know, Amber who doesn't need anger management. 
And she says, you give somebody two and a half years probation, but you also can't do a certain thing for 2.5 years. It's like they want you to slip up. They're setting you up for failure. It's like they want me to go to jail. And it's like, Amber, if they wanted you to go to jail, they would just send you to jail. Like, what are you talking about? Ugh, Amber, the ultimate victim. No one's ever been a victim but Amber Portwood. She's the only victim that's ever existed in this entire world. And this whole world is set up against her. And everybody just is waiting for her to go to jail, despite the fact that they could have given her a jail sentence already. Stupid. Fuck you, Amber. I am looking forward, I guess, to see what Andrew has to say. I don't know. I still think that Andrew should have, like, refused to ever engage with the show again and just let them say whatever they wanted I, I also just want, oh, somebody messaged me and I thought, or maybe left in a comment. They said this somewhere and I thought this was such a good point. When, um, when Macy was first dealing with Ryan, remember they had her call that, Ryan's drug addiction, they had her call that addiction specialist and they would like talk on the phone. And I thought that was like actually pretty interesting and good. And someone pointed out that they should have Macy call somebody to talk about borderline personality disorder and like what Amber should do and what she should do to support or not enable Amber. And I was like, yes, like why do we not have a single person on the show that is a specialist that can speak to what Amber did and why it was wrong? I think that MTV really dropped the ball with that. And I thought that was a great suggestion and I would have really liked to see that. And all they had to do is have Amber call or excuse me, have Macy call or Gary really is probably who it should be call the borderline personality specialist and they can talk to all talk to him about dbt and talk to him about boundaries and talk to him about you know why she's violent and all of that stuff i think that would be so interesting and so beneficial to the viewer and yet we're not getting that because for some reason mtv needs to protect amber i can't figure it out because in my opinion this show would be a lot more interesting (laughs) if they made amber a villain amber's a good villain guys I understand that we're talking about real people, but, like, Amber is a lot more interesting to watch when she's, like, in full villain mode, which is why she was very interesting during the Matt seasons and she was acting like a fucking lunatic and why that episode of the Matt lie detector test where she's, like, (laughs) like, trying to physically fight him and remember she's, like, screaming and has to be held back as, like, a garbage truck rolls by, which is so funny. Like, that is the Amber that I like to watch and them trying to paint Amber as anything but the villain, it's not good TV. It's just not. Okay, guys, that's it for this week. I hope everyone enjoys another week in pandemia. That's where we live, in pandemia. (laughs) I love you all. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Wear your face mask. And stay home. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Solid Listen Network. Find me on Instagram at feathers underscore pod.